Hey man, how's it going, y'all? Uh, it's my show, The Scott Horton Show. I'm Scott Horton. Uh, check out my website, scotthorton.org. It's mostly, it's an interview show. And then, so, uh, yeah, keep, uh, the archives of the whole show and the interview and interviews and whatever other old crap is all there at scotthorton.org. 4,000 something interviews now going back to 2003. Most all of it is on foreign policy and related stuff. Uh, oh man, I, uh, all of my radio invites are just falling through. Hmm. Looks like maybe we'll be able to work out something with Dan McAdams. Hmm. Give it a shot. Okay, yeah, great. Great, let's do 10. There you go. Dan McAdams will be on the show today, everybody. Cool. So I take that back about having no guests. Well, his email came in and corrected me right as I was saying things. Dan McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. He'll be on uh, to cover the Syria war. And then that's good because then I can take one of the 20-minute interviews from earlier in the week and I can add Dan McAdams on the end and that'll be my KPFK show for Sunday. <sighs> Man. If you're in Austin like me, then I'm sorry because it's one of those days where it looks like it's really nice and warm outside, but it's not. It's viciously cold and windy and cruel. And me and my shorts and t-shirt, you know? So, yeah. That was my complaint about the weather. You might have to put on a sweatshirt or something out there. It's in the 40s and windy. Probably high 40s. All right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, today on the show, I'm going to talk bad about Hillary Clinton. I'm going to talk about the war in Somalia and in Syria. Well, we're going to talk with Dan McAdams about Syria. Uh, and then we got Yemen. Poor Yemen, man. Uh, and Afghanistan. A Guantanamo story. Uh, and then politics, and then I was thinking, you know, it went pretty good last week. What do you say, chat room guys? Uh, you want to do some phone calls today on the show? It'll be like uh, Rush Limbaugh. Open line Friday. Only instead of like Rush Limbaugh, I'm good on everything. Instead of bad on everything. So. It'd be sort of the opposite, but also the same at the same time. If you guys... Uh, you guys want to do some calls. So I guess chat room guys, let me know. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah. And maybe we'll do some calls. Oh, you know, I got police state news too. Where's my police state section here? That's Guantanamo. That's not quite the same. Didn't I have another police state story here? I lost it, man. Um... This one was California prosecutor fabricates a confession. He added a confession onto some kind of statement that a guy wrote. 
And then he tried to play it off as a joke. And the judge didn't believe it was a joke. Thought, hey, you're yeah, doing something wrong here. You might say framing an innocent man, committing a fraud upon the court, whatever. Well, he's uh, been suspended for 30 days. A prosecutor who invented, who forged a defendant's confession, suspended for 30 days. Oh, did I mention what he framed him for? Child molestation. He added the following lines to a conversation between the defendant and the interrogating officer. Officer, you are so guilty, you child molester. Suspect. I know. I'm just glad she's not pregnant like her mother. What? And this prosecutor is not being buried under the prison? He's suspended for 30 days. Couple issues here. How would you like to be the next defendant up against this guy prosecuting you? It's an established fact for everyone in the county that he doesn't give a damn what the truth is. At all. Even if he never, you know, frames someone and forges evidence in a case again, still, think he cares whether you really did it or not? This guy who would forge a confession of child molestation? And then the other thing is, did somebody's child get molested here? A child got molested? And now who's going to go to prison for that? The guilty? Was the guy that he framed guilty? Because the charges are dropped and he gets to go free now. Now I guess we can presume that the guy was innocent. But I don't know. I mean, for prosecution purposes, but I think I would presume that if charges were filed that there really is a victim in this case. And so what about justice for him or for her? And that's the thing about government. It's a monopoly in all of the very worst ways. And that's it. That's the best you got is uh, the democratic process for choosing a really good DA who's going to do a real good job choosing all of his assistant DAs who are going to do a real good job taking real good care of you, representing the people when prosecuting criminals in front of the court. And if they blow it, oh well, screw you. I don't know if there's a way that they can refile charges or what, this, that, but I don't think so. Right? They had to dismiss the charges. The trial judge dismissed the charges because Murray's conduct was, quote, egregious outrageous, and shocked the conscience. The Court of Appeals affirmed that decision, agreeing the misconduct was, quote, outrageous. So he's not allowed to prosecute anyone else for 30 days. (sighs) You know, 
always, uh, I never do. I sometimes think that I should do this, but then I never remember to. But I think it might be funny, or maybe you get tired of corny shtick. I don't really do shtick very well, but, you know, I don't know, man. I... It seems like it might be useful if I were to present all these cases as look at how bad it is in China or look at how bad it is in Canada. Those socialists look at in the court in British Columbia what's happened with this prosecutor. Look at down in corrupt drug war Mexico. The way they're or Putin's Russia. Ooh, the evil Vladimir Putin. The Ayatollah's Iran. Check it out, guys. In the Ayatollah's Iran. If a prosecutor gets caught forging a confession of child molestation and the courts widely condemn it, he still only gets suspended for 30 days. But see, that's because they live in a fake republic that's actually a theocratic dictatorship with no rule of law at all, just the will of men. See, but no, this is in California where it's just a fake republic, where there's no rule of law at all, just the will of men. See how that works? That's the United States of America. And I know you're going to take off your hat and put it over your heart and cry your eyes out the next time they sing the song at the ball game. But maybe you'll also remember that you're crying over a bunch of crap. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com Hey, all Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code Scott Horton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. All right, y'all. So last night on the Future Freedom show that I do with Jacob Hornberger at Liberty.me, we did uh, 25 years of bombing Iraq. I talk way too much. I'm supposed to be interviewing the poor guy. But anyway, if you want to watch that, man, it's on uh, YouTube and it's at Liberty.me, the Future Freedom. It's kind of a cool thing, I guess. Um, <coughs> and then, yeah, I don't know. I got a ton of news here. I guess, oh, uh, I did have another cop story. I just didn't have the headline uh, in front of me, the tab in front of me. But it was that uh, Holtzclaw, is that how you say it? The uh, serial rapist cop from Oklahoma City was sentenced to what I believe was the maximum of 263 years and no tricks either. Uh, they're to run consecutively, not concurrently. Right. You can see him going, oh, yeah, you're sentenced to 263 years in prison, which you're going to serve all at the same time. We'll see you in a year and you'll be promoted to sergeant. No, in this case, they really threw the book at him. For, I guess, public relations reasons. Um, But the point that I wanted to make about this is uh, that this guy, Holtzclaw, is probably as bad as a rapist cop can be as far as... uh 
just the sheer number of victims and the impunity with which he behaved. Uh, if you read about the story at all, it's just... What's incredible is that none of the men in the neighborhood shot him in the head in defense of their women folk. And then maybe done the time for it. I'm like, yep, that's right, Your Honor. You raped my wife or girlfriend or whatever it was, and so I murdered his ass. And the son of a bitch had it coming, and you weren't going to do anything about it, defense. But he got away with this for years. And here's my point. Cops rape people all the time. And yeah, mostly poor minorities and prostitutes and people who are easy to pick on. Drug addicts. People on probation. Who are easy to blackmail. But, you know, um, that's just the way it is. And cops are rapists. And who do you think becomes a cop? Other than a bunch of rapists. Well, I don't know. I saw on TV they love me and they're, yeah, uh, have you ever met these guys? They're a bunch of rapists. And the ones who aren't, they sure don't arrest the others for being rapists, do they? No. And this goes on in every city in America with, okay, maybe some small exception somewhere, but that's the point. Holtzclaw and his prosecution, that's the exception that proves the rule. That these guys do enjoy that level of impunity. And, oh, no, I mean just in Iran or Russia or some faraway place. No, in America. That's how it is. And just look at how long this guy got away with it without the other cops busting him. Do you know the story of this guy, Holtzclaw? I'll tell you exactly how he got busted. Here's how he got busted. He preyed on a black woman driving through a very poor part of town who, it turned out, was an upper-middle-class professional black woman with lawyers for friends and things like this, uh, who did not have a record, who was not on probation, who did not have drugs or prostitution in her background or anything like that that he could use against her. And so she was able to turn the, the tables on him. So he picked on someone who you know, was de facto white as far as having the slightest bit of, you know, power and influence and accountability in that town. But for the poor black women that he'd been preying on, he got away with it for years. And how many of you are going to say to me, no, but Scott, the rest of the Oklahoma City Police Department had no idea why they're the innocent victims of this rapist, too. No, wrong. They're all guilty, all of them, and you know it. Oh, Daniel, just got back from raping somebody again. Yeah. Oh, no, they don't talk like that. They had no idea, right? And that's, that's the lesson I'm trying to impart to you, is that you can't trust the police. They'll rape you. They're not your protectors. They do not love you. That's not why they're here, to provide you security. They are here to enforce the edicts of those with political power that may or <laughs> may not have a damn thing to do with providing security to you. What the state is not, your big brother... All right. 
Uh, anyway, check out this, man. You know, Hillary Clinton, she's like the Jeb Bush of the Democratic Party. Uh, she is just so terrible. I mean, it, you gotta imagine. What if she was up against somebody who, you know, was in any way exciting like Sanders, but was not old and bald and Jewish and, and, you know, just uncool or whatever. You know, Barack Obama just cleaned her clock because he was the hip black guy and she's her. But she can barely even stand up to Sanders. He's ahead of her in Iowa now, too. And she's so bad at campaigning, it's unreal. So Sanders says, hey, listen, you know, I'm not saying we should open up an embassy in Iran tomorrow or anything. But yes, I think we need to work on normalizing relations with Iran. The same as we've had great success in doing with Cuba and other things. Perfectly reasonable statement, right? Much more reasonable would be, well, we don't even need an embassy because we're not ever going to mess with anybody ever again. We're Switzerland, so what do we need embassies in other countries for? They can have embassies here if they want, but whatever. Or, short of that, yeah, we're going to open an embassy there tomorrow. Why not? But uh, anyway, he goes, nah, you know, there's no hurry. But, yeah, sure, like, should the arc of American diplomacy bend toward normalization? Sure. And Hillary Clinton goes after him for it, right on the eve of the successful implementation of the nuclear deal. She attacks him from the right and talks about, you know, how horrible and irresponsible this is and whatever. Um the proposal to more aggressively normalize relations and move to warm relations with Iran not only breaks with President Obama's policy, it breaks with the sober and responsible diplomatic approach. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, in other words, she's really terrible at this. Hey, stupid, you're not supposed to run as Jeb the Republican until the general election. Right now, you're supposed to be running as Bernie. In order to prevent Bernie from outburning you, you stupid idiot. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? This isn't calculus. Oh, you know, the political calculus. This is simple arithmetic in the single digits. Right when the momentum is with peace toward Iran and the grassroots candidate to the left of her has all of the momentum... Uh, is not when you attack him for being better than you on things, on especially important things like long-term peace with a former so-called adversary. So, just point being, haha, I like it when Hillary fails because I hate her. Back in a minute. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. 
Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. On the line once again, I've got Dan McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Welcome back to the show, Dan. How you doing? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Uh, very happy to have you here, and a uh, very important piece that you wrote that we're running on the blog at Antiwar.com this week, Al-Qaeda allies to represent opposition in upcoming Syria peace talks. And I got one more headline for you here, which is, uh, where to go? Kerry lowers expectations as Russia vows Syria talks will start on time. And Kerry says there will be no direct meetings during the first round of talks. So I guess my first question for you is, could you explain who all is meeting and particularly which all Syrians? Because I've seen lists of, I don't know, maybe more than a dozen countries who are um, meeting here, but uh doesn't seem like there's that many on the Syrian side, including the Assad side or any of the various jihadist groups um, that have been fighting against them, except perhaps maybe this one that you're writing about here, this Jaysh al-Islam. Yeah, I mean, the... the as far as I can see, the planning for this that's supposed to take place on Monday is right now so up in the air. If I were a betting person, and I'm really not, I would bet money that it will not take place. Uh, first of all, you, as you point out, you have the problem of this um, this organization that Saudi Arabia helps broker, this um, high negotiations committee, which is said to represent all of the opposition in Syria. They demand that they're the only opposition group that's allowed to participate in the talks, and they've uh, put forth as their chief negotiator uh, Mohammed Alush, who's the brother of Zafran Alush, who was the head of, as you point out, the head of Jaish al-Islam, or the Army of Islam, which is a group that has fought alongside uh, the Nusra Front, which is al-Qaeda in Syria, has taken part in the massacres of minorities in Syria, but we're told it's okay, the media tells us they They've backed, up their, they've backed off of their call for Sharia law last year, so I guess they're okay now. But, you know, Scott, before you, you had me come on, I was watching a video of the late Safran, uh, former head of this uh, Army of Islam, who was, who was hit by a Russian airstrike in November, I think, killed. But he made a video before that where he praised al-Qaeda, he praised al-Nusra. So we know what these guys are coming from. These are the guys that the U.S. and the Saudis are putting forth as the sole negotiators for the opposition in Geneva. So it's no wonder that the Russians are saying, are you insane? You know, we're not going to accept this. We need to have at least some other groups, the Kurds, for example, maybe some more moderate opposition. Uh, so it looks to me like this is not going to go off. As a matter of fact, Reuters is just reporting that the uh, this high council is not going to show up at all. If the Russians don't stop bombing them, I guess it's, uh, it's kind of hurting their feelings. <laughs> Man, so they're not even trying to get any other mythical moderate groups represented at all. Just this uh, Jaysh al-Islam is supposed to be the umbrella for, I 
I guess probably not the Islamic State, but for Al Qaeda, Arar al Sham, and the rest of the other groups, or what? Well, the, the High Negotiations Committee, excuse me, is the umbrella uh, group. That's what the Saudis put together recently in in Riyadh. Mm-hmm. The Jaysh al Islam is is essentially the main group underneath that umbrella. They're the primary group underneath that, and their problematic ties are, are obvious. But you know, it's it's basically they've they've put so much time and effort into it that they want this to be the only group. And I guess that this committee feels that they have got the backing of, of a sufficient backing of foreigners, they're going to say nobody else can show up but us to the negotiating table. Um, it seems it seems unlikely that it will happen that way. But then again, that great mastermind of State Department's uh, public affairs, John Kirby, said yesterday that um, that uh, he's, the U.S. is going along with the idea that they should be the only sole negotiating group. So basically something's got to give. Either the Russians accept al-Qaeda as a negotiating partner, or the U.S. puts some pressure on the Saudis to get these guys back off. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing is, even if you could get both of those things to happen, it kind of remains the fact that, you know, the Assad government or or whoever on that side would have to negotiate with al-Qaeda, if not also the Islamic State, because... They are the opposition. How the hell are you going to have a peace treaty and exclude the dominant factions of the opposition on the other side? It's like, uh, you know, the Brits want to make a deal with the Swamp Fox, but let the rest of the rebellion continue, you know? No, absolutely. That's a good analogy. And, there, you know, there are moderate factions, and the Russians have been working with them, I, I think. I, I mean, I've read they have. But these, these are relatively insignificant factions, you know, the ones that have not taken up arms. There are people that have been in opposition for a long time. But everyone knows that the, the only effective fighting force against Assad is, is ISIS and, and the Nusra and, and their various allies, you know, the various names. So that really is the question. It, it's come to a head in a matter of speaking uh, that it's basically Assad versus the people who want Sharia law. Uh, and all of the things that go along with it. So uh, this is the case with U.S. foreign policy. When they're backed into a corner, what do they do? But they double down. And that's why I saw a piece on Zero Hedge this morning that Ashton Carter announced today that the U.S. is going to send in the 101st Airborne to retake Mosul and, more interestingly, Raqqa, the head, the headquarters of ISIS in Syria. So... In Carter's mind, the U.S. is going to invade Syria and re-invade Iraq. Uh, very interesting developments. I wonder how the Russians feel about this. Yeah, I hadn't heard that, but I did see that um, U.S. troops take over Syria Air Base in uh, Syrian Kurdistan here. So I hadn't yeah, heard I about the 101st Airborne, but that would just be my prediction finally coming true. I'm amazed it took this long, if that's really what's going on now. I mean, sort of a, I mean, it's yeah. Sorry, I just it's sort of a hail mary pass, I guess. But talk about putting us uh, adding fuel to the fire or putting a match to fuel. It's hard to imagine anything getting more complicated than if the U.S. sets in the 101st Airborne. Yeah, here it is. Wow, stars and stripes. Carter to the Army's 101st. You will prepare Iraqis to retake Mosul. But yeah, that's not just special forces, man. I don't know how many infantry that includes. 
in total. But, you know, of course, all they can do, even if they can drive ISIS out of power in Mosul, all they do is turn them back into al-Qaeda and Iraq, the insurgency, which is, you know, uh, fought America to a standstill back when we had 166,000 troops in the country. And there's also the small matter of permission. The U.S. does not have a status of force agreement with Iraq. So it remains to be seen whether they're going to get permission from the from the local Kurdistan government, which the U.S. is more and more at least de facto treating as a legitimate uh, government uh, in Iraq but not of Iraq. So how is the U.S. going to get permission to reinvade Iraq? Uh, I don't. I guess they're not worried about such niceties. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess they just got to call Khomeini and ask him for permission, and just like they always do. <laughs> get, but get, ask the Iraqi National Congress what should be done. Remember with John Kerry, it wasn't that long ago where he uh, said to the Russians, you don't just invade another country on a false pretext, yeah. you know, but here we are uh, uh, about to invade uh, Syria. We know we already have special forces. The U.S. already has special forces operating on the ground in Syria, but this will be... This will be of a much greater magnitude if this is indeed what takes place. And then, as, as Zero Hedge points out, I think it's a great point. Okay, so they take Raqqa, then what do they right. do next? What does the 101st do? Do they just sort of pull out and say, ooh, job well done? Do they move on to uh, Latakia and, uh, and the rest of western Syria? And how will the Russians take that? Right. Talk about a can of worms. Well, and, you know, if they're putting troops right now in not just special forces, but building an air base even in Syria and Kurdistan, they're de facto, you know, creating an autonomous, independent Syrian Kurdistan there, which is, you know, obviously not just problematic for the continuation of the war with Assad, even though I think the Kurdish leadership is on the record as saying maybe they don't want to be ruled by Assad, but they don't want to see him lose Damascus either. Um, but it's also picking a fight with our allies, the Turks, who, of course, are on the side of al-Nusra and, and I guess ISIS as well, or they have been in the past, and certainly are opposed to any American move to create a new autonomous Syrian uh, Kurdistan there, Rojava, or whatever they call it. So all just future conflict. They're just laying out and, and with our possibly with our NATO partner there. Because the Kurdish issue is one that they'll fight over, right? I mean, what are they going to do? Give up on the Kurdish issue, the Turks? I mean, this is the poster child for non-interventionism, isn't it? You know, you get in there and you you, you take sides with one group and you realize, oh, shoot, our NATO allies are are, are slaughtering these people who we're calling allies uh, ourselves. You're absolutely right. The Kurds are absolutely not going to stand for a de facto independent Kurdistan in northern Syria. It's just not going to happen. So... How is how are the brainiacs in the U.S. State Department and Pentagon going to square this circle? I don't know, man. It's going to be bad, though. <laughs> Listen, I'll let you go. Thanks very much for doing the show, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. All right, Chuck. That's the great Dan McAdams. Uh, you can see why uh, he was Ron Paul's foreign policy advisor for years in his congressional office there, and he now runs the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. 
and I host two shows on Liberty.me. Eye on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, all Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pignati, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all. QR Silver Commodity Discs. The first ever QR code, one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at commoditydiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at slash commoditydiscs. And thanks. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. I like being a radio show, man. It's all right. Um, let's do calls, man. You guys want to do some calls? The phone number to call in is 512-271-4836, 512-271-4836, and we can talk about politics, or we can talk about the wars, or the police state, or whatever you hate. Ask me questions. People ask me questions, man. They email me, they tweet me, they say, hey man, what was that thing? How come the, here's the part I don't understand is this. Can you explain to me that? So uh, I'm happy to do that. If you got questions for me that you think maybe I can answer for you, uh, just put the phone number in the chat room for you too. If you want to join up the chat room, scotthorton.org/chat. Otherwise, you know me. I'm just going to tell you the bad news. But again, uh, the number's five one two two seven one forty eight thirty six. If anybody wants to call in and say stuff. All right. So Somalia. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday. Um, five killed in an Al-Shabaab attack on a restaurant, or a couple of restaurants, I guess, next to each other on the beach there. Uh, at least five were killed and two were wounded, it says. But it was a pair of suicide bombings, so... Or at least one of them was a suicide bombing, I think they said. Um... But anyway, and then according to media, Al-Shabaab took credit for it, which I suppose is uh, the most plausible explanation anyway. And it's too bad, too, because, uh, well, you know, for a lot of reasons, obviously. But one of the bad things about it is that it, it seemed like, yeah, you know, maybe support for Al-Shabaab had been waning and... Certainly, it's been a long time since they ruled the port town of Kismayo and had all that revenue coming in and all of that, but uh, they're a long way from done yet. And, you know, I think I read a thing. Hmm. Oh, you know what? There's an interview here I haven't read yet, but I'll tell you that it exists, and maybe we can all read it at some point. Meeting Al-Shabaab's elusive leader, Ahmed Omar who has previously lived in Kenya, seeks to expand the group's war beyond Somalia. Great. And then the other thing I was going to say was um, I read, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, claims anyway, I don't know how legit it was, but, you know, claims 
that that uh, Al Shabaab had decided to declare their allegiance uh, had switched from Zawahiri and Al Qaeda to the Islamic State, which you know I don't know how you measure that as far as how good or bad or indifferent it is. Maybe it doesn't make that much difference, except that Al Qaeda never, you know, the base was always just theoretical. <laughs> They never had a base. <laughs> they never had a real... Uh, it used to even be for a long time, right? Starting in 2006. The Islamic State of Iraq was just a a name of a group with pretensions of power. And yet now they've got one, which means, doesn't it kind of, that when a group in Libya that has, you know, a monopoly on force, at least in a couple of towns here and there... Uh, declares their loyalty to the Islamic State. When a group like Al-Shabaab declares their loyalty to the Islamic State, it's kind of a little bit more meaningful than just declaring their loyalty to a transnational terrorist group. Because the Islamic State is a place now. Uh, one under fire, but it's, uh, I don't know, man. Whoever rules that land... Iraqi and Syrian Sunni stand. Maybe it'll even be divided. I don't know. But it'll never be Iraq and Syria again. That much is clear. Anyway, so here's this article in Al Jazeera. I didn't get a chance to read it yet, but uh, I mean to. Leaving this tab open for later. An interview or a story about a meeting with. Is it not word for word, I guess? It's a story about meeting him, but Guy went and interviewed the leader of Al-Shabaab for Al-Jazeera here. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like telling the whole damn tale, but um, if you want to read why this is all because of George W. Bush and Barack Obama, then uh, my article, just type in my name, Scott Horton, or not even, don't even bother, just type in FFF and Somalia, and it'll come right up. U.S. government to blame for Somalia's misery. And it's my best retelling in a couple of thousand words of where the responsibility lies for this madness. It's sad, man. Now I'll go ahead and mention uh, more than half a million people starved to death in the famine of 2011 and 12. And that was because of America. I mean, it was because of the weather, but... Those of us libertarians who understand how markets work can tell you that, you know, markets can compensate for bad weather. We don't have famines in capitalist countries because someone will find a way to sell you food. It's all right. Too bad about your crop this year, but we'll make up for it somehow. Well, in Somalia, uh, after George Bush kicked their country over, and set it on fire, all their market systems were destroyed. It's not like they had advanced market capitalism, but they had distribution networks of food and other goods and services to some degree. And Bush just blew it all up. So when the drought came, there were no market systems to compensate. The few farmers who were able to uh, you know, uh, sow and reap a crop, we're unable to get it to market. 
Oh, and there was no market. And there were no customers with any money to buy anything. And so they just laid down and died. 600,000 of them. And of course, most of those were children under five years old. And that's because of the same war that created Al-Shabaab out of almost the ether. They were the smallest, weakest, nothingest, least influential group involved in the Islamic Courts Union, which was a union of 13 groups, the least influential of which was the youth. The old men were running the thing. Then George Bush turned the whole damn table over, and uh, guess what? The youth were the ones who were willing to pick up rifles and fight. And so the rest of the Islamic Courts Union mostly melted away, and al-Shabaab was what was left and what they're still saddled with. And, um, you know, I need to learn more about this, but uh, uh, Thomas Mountain, you know, makes a real good case that check out who was in charge of distributing the food aid under the UN program during that time. It was Anthony Lake, Bill Clinton's old national security advisor, who uh, was nominated and had to withdraw his nomination for a CIA director because of, uh, I forget which all compromises and horrible things. But anyway, he um, he's the guy who, did I ever tell you this story? It was on Frontline PBS, all about the Black Hawk Down episode in Somalia. And uh, a father of one of the dead rangers tells the story, or it might have been a Delta soldier, whichever. Uh, and the father tells the story of meeting Bill Clinton and saying to Bill Clinton, so you were trying to negotiate with this guy a deed, right? And had all these diplomatic efforts toward working out some kind of arrangement with him. And Bill Clinton said to me, yeah, uh-huh. And then I said, so then how come you sent my son and the rest of these guys to go and arrest him? To grab him on that same day. And he said, Bill Clinton then looked at me. The most blank stare I've ever seen on a man's face. Just stared at me. And then he said, well, you know, I asked Anthony Lake the same question. Huh. Oh, well, whatever. Screw you. End quote. No, <laughs> I made up the last part, but same deal. You know, Mr. Commander-in-Chief. Well, I don't know. I told Tony Lake to handle it, and I guess it didn't work out good. He was the same guy who was in charge of failing completely to provide food aid to help the people that Obama and Bush before him were starving to death there in that war. But anyway, it's so far from here, why would you care? Except for the fact that it's all your government's fault. And you know, they're people. Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America Lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel Lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. That's CouncilForTheNationalInterest.org. 
you hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. All right, y'all. How's it going? I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Doing the bad news for you here. Uh, nine civilians killed as Saudi airstrike hits Yemen oil port. Dozens wounded as airstrike causes massive fire. <clears throat> Saudi warplanes have launched another attack against the North Yemen port city of Hodiya. Hodiya? I don't know. Hitting a small oil port which accepts refined oil products for domestic distribution and causing a massive fire which locals are still attempting to put out. At least nine civilian workers were killed in the first and 30 others wounded. Though some reports have suggested the death toll could rise as high as 16, with the local rescue workers still trying to get the situation under control. Uh, Hodea, Hodea, place, is squarely in Shiite Houthi territory, and the city has been the primary route for all supplies, including food and other basic aid, into the capital city of Sana. So, Jason, it's at news.antiwar.com. Uh, this separate and distinct story, Saudi airstrike kills 18 civilians in northern Yemen. MSF ambulance driver reportedly among the slain. And, um, this one came out at Middle East Eye earlier about the double tap, and I guess they were even claiming a triple tap attack at some point. Caught on camera. I didn't watch it before, but I guess I'll watch it. Now. I hate this stuff. Um, so there was a bombing, and then all the rescuers came, and then, you know, I don't know. I don't really want to watch a bunch of people get killed. Anyway, you can look at the tweet on my thing if you want, man. Uh, I retweeted the guy from Middle East Eye. So, um,. You know, remember, anyone who opposes the U.S. who does the double tap, you know, and I don't mean the double tap like shoot someone twice when they're down to make sure they're dead. I mean the other kind of double tap where um, you bomb a place, where one bombs a place, and then when the rescuers come, you bomb them too. Like Eric Rudolph the abortion clinic bomber and Olympic Park bomber. Um, like uh, Al-Qaeda in Iraq has done. Well, that's been Barack Obama's policy, especially in Pakistan, for years now, to bomb the rescuers, the heroic first responders. And anyone who dares try to come and help the dead and dying in American drone strikes. And including B-52 
because, you know, America's in a contest to see how low can you go with the worst barbarians of the ages. They bomb funerals, too. Because, you know, whoever's sad about whoever they killed, whoever they were, I don't know, they all deserve to die, too, and kill them, too. That is absolutely the worst kind of terrorism objectively agreed by me, by all of us, um, and agreed by our government when anybody except our government doesn't. But our government, of course, uh, and the Saudis are just a satellite in America's empire. Uh, when our government does it, uh, then, hey, it's perfectly fine because they're the bad guys and that's why we're killing them. So if they're the bad guys, that means we're the good guys. And if they're fighting Al-Qaeda, then I guess that means they're the bad guys because that's what Saudi Arabia wants. Saudi forces capture port in Al-Qaeda-held Yemen city. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula installs new checkpoints. Aims to keep the Saudis out of Mukalla. Oh, that's interesting. A little three-front development there. I bet you they work out a deal. <laughs> Saudi battleships have moved into the port of the southern Yemeni city of Mukalla today, capturing the port area of the largest city currently under the control of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. At present, they have made no attempt to seize the city itself. A QAP is said to have scrambled after this unexpected arrival of battleships, stepping up security patrols and establishing more checkpoints around the city, aiming to ensure that Saudi forces don't get in without a fight. Pro-Saudi forces have largely left AQAP alone over the course of their nine-month war in Yemen, and indeed the only reason AQAP was able to take over Makala in the first place is that the Saudi offensives forced the Shiite Houthis out of the area and left the city virtually unguarded. Pro-Saudi forces have recently fought with Islamists over the ports in their own temporary capital city of Aden, and this move against AQAP's port is likely also in part a function of their recent objection to private, docking sh uh, private ships docking in Makala to make deliveries without formal permission of the Saudi Navy. Huh. So, uh, man, see, this is why I'm always telling you guys, you got to read Jason Ditz at news.antiwar.com. You see? Because, oh, look, hey, a thing happened, but by the way, uh, he was here two weeks ago, and he's going to remind you the important part of the narrative that you're not going to find anywhere else. You're just not going to tell you the truth the way Jason tells you the truth. That's the way it is. I'm sorry. There's just nowhere else, no one else on the Internet like him. All day, every day. News.antiwar.com. And, uh, yeah. So... Uh, remember now, in case uh, you heard it or learned it for the first time, in case you missed it, I interviewed the guy from Oxfam, what, two weeks ago now? He said this is the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet. A city that uh, used to import huge super majorities of their food supplies. Yeah, you know, I never did study up. I meant to learn all about because that lady, uh, she sent me some links. 
the lady from Oxford or whatever that I interviewed about Yemen. And she was saying right at the end of the interview, when we were way out of time, and she's saying, oh, yeah, well, why do they import so much of their food in the first place? Because of, a, I guess, probably a typical um, uh, economic hitman style IMF World Bank series of loans that were given out just to screw them and steal and destroy all their resources, just like always. Liquidate them for very short-term profit at the local government's gunpoint. That's the way they do it, man. And uh, I never did nail all that down. Uh, but I sure believe that uh, professor lady when she said, because I asked her, how do they have a population that's 80 to 90% dependent on imports of their food supplies? You know, she said, well, you know, of course, the foreigners made it that way. The West made it that way. And yeah, that's see, here's the game in case, obviously, if you know this, then I'm sorry for talking kindergarten to you, but hey, maybe you don't and you need to learn an important thing about the world. What they do is they go, hey, look, here's a great loan of bazillions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, maybe, uh, for your local government to make lots of great infrastructure investments in your country so you guys can make a lot of money and pay us back and it'll be great. And then, of course, that's just the surface. What's really going on is they bribe the politicians with fractions of the total amount because that's all it takes to bribe off, you know, a few of the individuals that actually hold the levers and make the decisions. They bribe them to put the whole country on the line as collateral and all their resources and everything on collateral for loans that couldn't possibly be productive loans that Hey, if they were, then where's Chase Manhattan? How come they're not making the loan? How come uh, J.P. Morgan, whatever, Chase, everything now? Um, where are the Rockefellers? Only government will make the loan because it's not an effective loan, but that's okay because it's all about getting the people on the hook, one, to pay it all back, but also, two, to lose their collateral, all their local natural resources. And that's the way it works time and time again. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. If this nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone, we are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey. <laughs> How are you guys doing? All right, I'm Scott. I'm wrapping up the show for the week here. Well, not quite yet. Uh, just reading Twitter like I do all damn day. It's really probably rewiring my brain in stupid ways. So much of it is trash. It's an interesting experiment and just completely weeding. Like all the celebrity news and stuff that... You know, just there's so much 
completely unimportant stuff. But then there are gems, man. There are diamonds buried in the stream, too. Whoa, I almost didn't notice that. So anyway, um, yeah, I talked about Somalia and Yemen. Oh, uh, yeah, you guys want to talk about politics? I don't really want to talk about politics. I guess I might could. Um, but, uh, hey, the phone number is 512-271-4836, 512-271-4836. It's kind of funny. The, uh, National Review got together all of the worst kind of centrist, neocon, extremist losers. <laughs> Uh, together to all write about why they hate Trump and we gotta stop Trump. And then, uh, Trump responded, Jonah Goldberg is a loser, dude, <laughs> on Twitter, which I thought was funny. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if these, uh, neocons actually secretly work for Donald Trump or not. It's sort of like, is Barack Obama secretly on the payroll of the gun lobby? <laughs> Every time he opens his mouth, they make more money, you know? Well, here's Bill Crystal saying, you better not support Trump anymore. And what is that supposed to do? What is that meant to do other than make people vote Trump? Whatever that guy Crystal wants is what I'm against. That's what all decent humans think. Now, some of us would like to discriminate a little more carefully and say, you know what? I can be against Crystal and Trump. <laughs> but what do they think's going to happen, you know? It's like uh when George W. Bush in July of 2005 said, hey, you Iranians better not elect a right-winger, and then the next day they all voted for Ahmadinejad. Because stop meddling in our election, jerk. Same kind of thing. And anyway... Uh, the National Review. These are the worst people in the world. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jonah Goldberg is a worse person than Donald Trump, then just uh, read the following two articles. Baghdad Delinda Est and Baghdad Delinda Est Part 2 by Jonah Goldberg. You'll need to take a hot shower. After that filth. I mean, he is a really, really bad human being. Which just makes it perfect for Donald Trump to push him down and take his lunch money. He should have called him Jeb. Yeah, whatever, Jeb Goldberg. Low T magazine editor or whatever. <laughs> Insult. Uh, how easy for Trump. To be opposed by the likes of Crystal and Goldberg. Um, and these are really, really horrible people. And, and it didn't seem to bother him any. And, and what conservatives read National Review anyway? What conservatives read? And I don't mean just, oh, you're all completely illiterate or whatever, but I mean really. Conservative, I mean, I mean people who aren't millionaires. I mean rank and file working people who lean right. You think they read the National Review? They don't read the National Review. They listen to talk radio. And all the National Review is saying is that everyone who already has power wants you to not do what you're doing right now. Which just absolutely reinforces exactly what it is that they're doing. 
They're supporting the guy that they believe is separate and distinct enough from the machine that maybe it'll make a bit of difference. That's basically it. This is, and don't anybody be confused, everybody, with the every stupid conclusion, jumping or whatever. I hate all politicians. I would like to see them blasted off into space without suits. All right, all of them. So, don't get me wrong or anything. I'm just trying to talk about, you know, reading the minds, the psychology of the people who support Trump. Is they're looking at it like, here's a guy who's narcissist enough and rich enough that apparently he's believable when he says he's beholden to no one. That he can do this in a purely self-sacrificial way. Yeah, I could be out making more money and surrounding myself in bigger and bigger piles of coke and horse, but I decided to come and leave the country out of the goodness of my heart to just try to do the right thing. And any special interest who tries to stop me can just go to hell. And And people are dying to hear that. And look how easy it is for him to say, and he does say, oh, who, Hillary Clinton, Jeb Bush? They're beholden to super PACs of billionaires, of people like me, who can buy them for pennies. So you can't trust them. But you can't trust me, because I care only about myself and you. (laughs) And people buy it. They buy it. Because he seems uh, like not one of them enough. And, of course, what really kills me about that is that, you know, Ron Paul ran for president twice. He was an outsider, and he wanted to upset the apple cart, too, except the only thing he believed in is freedom. Not his own power to remake the world a better way, (laughs) you know. Ron Paul was the guy who was saying, you don't have to be afraid. You know, everything would be fine if we could just get back to some a realistic pricing structure around here, you know? God damn it. And people just, oh, oh I don't like that guy. He keeps telling me everything's going to be all right, and I just don't want to hear it. Ah, uh, uh, what could have been, man? Think about that. But anyway, so I think... I guess what I have to say about Trump is that at least he's funny. And I think maybe he is qualitatively worse than Hillary. Maybe he is short-tempered and personal and, you know, weird enough that he would try to start a major war with a real power or some kind of crazy thing out of craziness. And that was a real concern with John McCain. You know, not with Romney. Romney might follow some really bad advice of some neocons, but he wasn't going to throw a temper tantrum and do something insane. You know what I mean? But John McCain might throw a temper tantrum and do something insane, like launch hydrogen bombs at people who also have them. So that was a thing. And I think that might be a thing with Trump. But... Yeah, you know, thermonuclear holocaust notwithstanding, at least he's funny. I love watching him pick on Jeb Bush. I just love it. Cracks me up every time, dude. I can't help it. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by Audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Show, you can get your first audiobook for free. 
Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military-Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Show. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Afghanistan. No, Trump. Uh, I wanted to point this out because I like pointing this out. Donald Trump's long love affair with taking your land. Republican frontrunner thinks eminent domain is wonderful. And no question as to why. That's how he makes his money. He hires the government to gangsterize people out of their property and then he gets it. And they tell the story here of him doing it, you know, for failed projects anyway, that didn't even work out anyway. Uh, ruining people and fighting them in court, bankrupting them, suing them, trying to get all their land. And, uh, you know, acting like the Kello decision before the Kello decision even. And they get into that a little bit. It's always fun to see liberals complain about eminent domain abuse when, for some reason, they think owning something is the same thing as withholding it and therefore stealing it from everyone else. I don't know how this communist came up with this nonsense. But so anyway, property, they think, means greed and selfishness and hoarding or <laughs> whatever. And so what right do you have to not be stolen from? None that they can think of. Everything is about the greater good as determined by, you know, the sickest, most powerful people in the society. Uh, but anyway, so even this morning, I think it was, Donald Trump tweeted out, or very recently he tweeted out an attack on, uh, or defending himself. Yeah, here. Defending himself from Cruz. Yeah, today. Uh, 8.30 this morning, Donald Trump tweeted out, Ted Cruz complains about my views on eminent domain, but without it, we wouldn't have roads, highways, airports, schools, or even pipelines. There you go. From Donald Trump, Donald Trump's intern's fingers to your eyeballs. My eyeballs to your ears through the microphone. Okay, never mind how the message got where it got. The point is, that's what this state is for. Stealing things from some people on behalf of itself. That's right. What's now considered domain, eminent domain abuse is when public use, as it is in the Kello decision, is interpreted so broadly as to include the promise of increased tax revenues to the local authorities were they to 
kick one owner off of their land and give it to someone else. I can't believe the Supreme Court wasn't burned to the ground that day. Are you kidding me? What in the hell is this? Eastern Europe or something? Uh, <laughs> so what they do, this is what this means. This means a guy who's worked his whole life to own and run three Dairy Queens, and that's his life, and that's his pension, and that's his savings, that's his family, that's his children's education, that's his vacation once every few years if he gets a chance. They just come in, they put a gun to his head, and they say, F you, you scumbag, you loser, you nobody. They take his land, and then they put a Home Depot there, or they put a Trump Tower there, or they put a Samsung factory there, or whatever criminal arrangement the local authorities come to. And then their excuse is, well, one day... After, you know, years from now, when the tax abatement deal we worked out that says they don't have to pay property taxes at all, once that is up, then the property tax revenue that'll come in will be higher than Dairy Queen Boy was paying, and so, good for government. And therefore, public use, because after all, the people got to hold a democratic election. And so that means anything that the government does with money that they steal from those people or others is for public use by definition. You know, like when they hire more cops with more guns to steal more land for more cronies to steal more land. Because, again, the government is not your security force. They're your enemy. You know, what are you, Patty Hearst or something? I'm with the Simeonese Liberation Army. They got a really good point. Otherwise, where? how would we have roads? <laughs> and I'm sorry, because that's kind of an inside joke among libertarians that this is all the statists are left with. Oh, we couldn't possibly come up with a system of roadways without government to hold guns to people's head and take their land and force them off of it. Uh, but anyway, so Trump hides behind the original, horrible enough, communist definition of eminent domain for government use in order to justify eminent domain for his use. Hire the local city council to steal the old lady's house and kick her out on her ass so that he can have it. So he can even build a hotel there that'll go out of business in three years. And here's the great part of it, see, is that he's absolutely not ashamed of it at all, right? He'll basically lie by citing more acceptable in the public opinion, public uses like airports and highways that virtually everybody buys into. But uh, anyway, it just goes to show what a bastard this guy is, you know? And, uh, you know, I don't know, man. I'm sure you know people in your life like this. I guess this is the kind of default for everyone, right? Is that, hey, that's the system. So you do whatever you can with it, you know? Uh, if the system is rigged, then get in on the rigging. And uh, that's how the game is played.
Especially when you're dealing with, you know, millions and billions of dollars and all business is conducted by lawyers. You know, everything is, uh, dot your I and cross your T. And so, I don't know. How do you get by without being corrupt? That's what you gotta do. You gotta bribe all the right Gestapo goons to make business go your way. Uh, it's like I'm back to school. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield explains how to get a building permit or whatever, right? Oh man, you're not including all the bribe costs. Anyway, read that article in the Daily Beast. It's a great little piece of uh, just what a bastard Donald Trump is. And then, uh, oh, hey, good. Somebody called in. Uh, I should have given out the phone number more. Uh, 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And just barely got time for a question here before we go out to the break. Hey, how's it going? Oh, wait, I got to click the thing. Don't talk yet. Hey, you're on. Hey, Seth. Uh, quick question before you go to break. Um, sure. You know, I've, I've been keeping an eye on a certain thing called endorsements in this political process, and it seems that Jeb Bush has the most at this time, and with Donald Trump endorsing the Patriot Act, I guess, but receiving no endorsements. And then recently with Dr. Ron Paul saying that he's coming out and touring with Rand, I guess he's got this Live the Revolution Continues event and January 31st. I was curious to know how you felt about how the endorsement game works and and does that matter even in today's day? Well, um, yeah, I guess my short answer is Jeb is just weighted down by all of these. Um, you know, he's trying somehow to get out from uh, the characterization that he's the establishment tool candidate. The more people endorse him, the worse he looks as far as that goes. And as far as Rand... I guess I'll save it to the other side of this break. Got to go. But uh, thanks for the call. Be right back after this, y'all. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. All right, let's get this over with here. Man, the wife's bringing me home some Kung Pao. And it's about hunger time. Mm. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. So, uh, hey, cool. People finally decided to start calling in. So, um, uh, I got one uh, already asked this question but didn't get an answer yet. I only got half. And then I got one more on hold. And if anybody else wants to call in, got probably uh, time for a couple more than that. If you guys want to call in, 512-271-4836. And so uh, the question before the break uh, was about uh, Dr. Paul's endorsement of Dr. Paul and uh, what that'll mean for his campaign. 
And, well, I think it's, you know, it's gotta help if, um, if Rand has decided finally to, uh, to bring his father on board. I, you know, I've been saying all along, it's funny, man. I feel like, you know, here I've been anti-Rand among libertarians and stuff from the very, very beginning more than anyone else. And then I was kind of realizing on Twitter when I was mocking him the other day that, uh, I might be the last one who even cares at all. Um, you know, he's completely in the tank. Everything that he does every day is just some stupid gimmick. Uh, talking, still talking about Christie hugging Obama after months of this. And then today or yesterday coming out and saying he has better hair than Donald Trump. I just, I just want to smash my head into a brick wall or something. I just can't believe it. And then I think, okay, well, cool. So, if he's decided to bring on his dad to help him campaign, then maybe that implies somewhere like he's come to his senses a little bit and he realized that libertarianism is not what was holding him back. It's abandoning libertarianism that's been holding him back. And, um, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I want to believe. That's why I'm always trashing the guy every day is because I can't help but know that he knows this stuff. He grew up with this stuff. He, he, and he's obviously intelligent enough. He knows how to read articles and understand what the hell he's talking about. He was good on Libya and he's even now half good on Syria. You know, he only wants to bomb the East, not the West of it. So there's that, you know, but, uh, yeah, what I want is a full fledged, you know, pretend to be wrong campaign. I'm going to stop being ran and just start being Ron. Run as Ron as hard as he can. Attack the war as hard as he can. Ridicule the others for their support of all their different contradictory, horrible positions on these conflicts. And make as much hay out of it as he can. And make America better for it. And, you know, that should be his mission. If he makes that his mission, then he could succeed at that. You know, he could never succeed in being president anyway. Compromising and be president was a fool's errand anyway. He's supposed to be leading people to the truth and peace and liberty, and that's the whole point. So if if he can get that through his thick skull and, and start mimicking his father in that way, then all to the good. And I'll be happy to praise him for anything he deserves praise on, you know, if I can find something. <laughs> Do you have anything to say to that? Well, Carl, yeah, still- I, I agree with you, and, you know, it it is a interesting ordeal when – you know, you, you, you're involved in Republican politics, especially out here in Texas when Ron asked us, us to get involved in 08 to now, and the folks that call us, call us out of not supporting any candidates in this day, even though they say that Rand Paul and Ron Paul endorsed Ted Cruz, you know, that's why I was questioning endorsements, just like Rand endorsed the Mitt Romney campaign, and I just didn't know how much endorsements really matter in this, I guess, political climate of social media and you know, individuals like Donald Trump saying that I love Bill, Bill and Hillary Clinton. They're part of my family. I invite them to weddings. And, but that doesn't seem to make a big bit of difference as far as endorsements go as well. So I just didn't know if that was a yeah. major deal anymore with today's technological age. Right. Yeah, no, it's an important point. I mean, um, yeah, I think mostly the, all endorsements can do is hurt, right? They can't really help. I don't think Ron vouching for Rand budges the meter very far. Um, but... You know, uh, the, the kind of people who endorse Jeb Bush are, I mean, I don't know exactly who, but I'm presuming it's mostly just governors and senators and, and, you know, powerful billionaires and this kind of thing. Exactly the kind of people who make him look 
like exactly what he is, you know, a representative of the entrenched establishment. And uh, so they can I think they can hurt him and weigh him down, not just him, but others. Hillary Clinton has the same problem, too. Um, uh, but, you know, can a candidate who doesn't really have anything going for him get that much of a bump? From just somebody saying so, I think probably not, right? Pop stars endorsing Hillary and whatever stuff like that. I think that that kind of thing doesn't really account for very much. But uh, then again, right, well, just... on the other hand, Barack Obama in two thousand eight, he put together like a string of endorsements in a way where he made it where like all cool people are supporting this guy, not her or him you know so in that sense i guess if they can get enough endorsements from a broad enough section of popular culture the way obama did that they can just make it all seem very inevitable and that kind of deal then that can be powerful but that's a whole other level that i don't think any of the current candidates are on right now well understood i appreciate it scott thanks for allowing us to call in and uh keep up what you're doing sir great job hey thanks very much for calling man i really appreciate it and, uh, okay, uh, phone number 512-271-4836 if anybody else wants to call in. Now you're on. Hey. Hi, Scott. I am a Republican precinct chair from Lubbock, Texas, and I'm required to get behind at least one Republican candidate. And I'm finding it very difficult to find somebody that meets the minimum standards. Can you suggest someone that you may support, um, even federal, state, local candidates, anybody that you think that is worthy? Of our vote. Mm, that is such a tough question. <laughs> um, Isn't it? You know what? I'll tell you what. I I have a clue for you. I have a, a trail that you could try to go down as, as best as I can promise, and that would be uh, you find the people at uh, Ramp, the Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition, and uh, that's nice. a great little organization there down in Houston. And they may know somebody. <laughs> I think that's about all I can tell you, you know? I mean, who is... Well, on that note, Scott, would you consider running for office? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a terrible person. Boy, if you if you well, were to go back and look at my Twitter feed, the, the things I've said in MP3 format and on Twitter and whatever, and, and also I have no money or power or connections to anyone, and also uh, no one agrees with me about anything, and yeah, that probably wouldn't work out too well. Well, if you ever did, we'd get behind you here from Lubbock, Texas. Well, I appreciate that. I like Lubbock. I've been to Lubbock. It's basically a foreign country from Austin, but I've been there. Well, thank you for everything you do. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for calling. I'm sorry I didn't have a better answer for you. I just, I really don't know. I mean, it's basically there's Ron Paul and there's everybody else, right? That was the best answer that you could could ever have is just to say we're going to stick to our principles and not get behind anybody unless... They meet those standards. Yep, that's what it's got to be. All right, well, thank you very much for calling. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, cool. And, yeah, you know, uh, it's uh, Zoe is her name down there at Republicans. It's RAMP, Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition, down there in Houston. And, you know, they may know of some pretty libertarian-leaning Republicans, something like that. I admit uh, that I'm not actually very well-versed in – electoral politics type issues and who's really, you know, who's really running. I know that, you know, Justin Amash and others to me are just big disappointments that there's no Ron Paul there. And 
you know, I guess that's again why I get so upset at Rand because wow, what a great opportunity to fumble, you know, just geez. And it wasn't even a 50 yard pass. It's just a handoff. Just take the thing, dude, and go and just to screw that up is a world historical level tragedy. I'm sorry. I just can't get over it. I just can't get over it. The son of the greatest legislator in the history of mankind. And I don't mean he passed a bunch of laws. I mean he opposed a bunch. And gave a bunch of great speeches. Uh, yeah, to, to abandon that legacy in favor of compromise, in favor of failure. When the compromise is no sure winner, man. Anyone could have told you that. I tried to tell you that. All right. Here's some more told you so. Sorry, but Pentagon given broad authority to target Islamic State in Afghanistan. Previously, such strikes were limited to protection of U.S. troops that are still on the ground there. And then it's David Petraeus, of all people, the disgraced loser of two wars who failed in both surges in Afghanistan and Iraq before that, is saying, man, because of my failure... Oh, he doesn't say that part. we got to bring back the air war. we got to double back down our war in Afghanistan. We can't leave now. All right, sorry. See you all Sunday morning in L.A. KPFK.